Hey, everybody. Welcome to the set here of the Charlie Kirk Show, also at the Turning Point USA Battle Station yeah. here in Phoenix, Arizona. It's nice to be stationary for 24 hours, crisscrossing the country. Rob, welcome back. Thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, obviously, I'm not with everybody. It's Sunday. I'm here with you. As they're watching this, you and I are in Idaho right now. Exactly. So, so we, we're, we've actually transported ourselves from Phoenix to Idaho. Hopefully, we're having a great time. I, I think so. Yeah. So as see in the future. Yeah. So exactly. We're kind of in this multi-dimensional time. <laughs> as people are viewing this, we're actually doing something else. So I hope it's a blessed time. I'm sure, it will be. Yeah. But so Rob, I'm going to need a lot of your time ahead of the election. I've been talking to you about this, traveling the country, organizing pastors. We have a Pray for America group of pastors that are finally taking a stand. Yeah, hey, Charlie, uh, you're asking me this now on a Sunday morning. Uh, folks are, you know, that I'm their pastor. And there's a lot to do. So if you're going to ask me to do these things, I got to find somebody to fill in when I'm not there. And you know what? I was praying about that. And God put on my heart one of the coolest guys. His name's Rick Brown. And he was a pastor in Idaho. And he has a ministry called Kingdom X Ministry where he consults churches when they're growing. And our church has gone from 400 to a few thousand, a couple thousand. And, and Rick's available. And so I, I, I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to tell him who's, who's in my place. Rick Brown's preaching today for all of you. And not only is he filling in in my absence, but this is the coolest thing. He's also our newest pastor on staff. And the two of us, he's got a ministry where he's got to be gone at times. And I'm with you at times. And the two of us are going to be filling the pulpit. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still the pastor at Calvary Chapel Godspeak. It's just this guy right here is requiring a little bit more of my time, so we don't want you to suffer. So you're welcoming not only the guest speaker, but your newest pastor on staff, Pastor Rick Brown. Everybody clap and cheer for him. God bless you, Rick. Light it up. We'll see you guys next week. Well, I'm the one that should be clapping for you guys. It's such an honor to be with you, God's precious people, and to serve the Lord in this next season of life with Pastor Rob and me. And there's a couple of things that Rob left out in that wonderful promo, okay? So that, that, that means both of us are going to prison. All right. And unlike Rob, I've already done jail time, so it's no big deal. I was on probation the first time when I was in the third grade, so. But now for a just cause, none of those causes were a reason that the, the workers of God's kingdom are essential to share the hope and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. So we sincerely believe that, and so uh, sometimes you have to take your conviction and your conscience, and you have to put it out there to take all of the abuse that comes along with it. So this is the only time during the week, you guys, where we're the majority. Because Monday through Friday, we are the minority, correct? You're going to go back to your jobs and different things. So uh, uh, I'm the only guy that Rob could talk into doing jail time with him. Okay? <laughs> Also, I want you to know how this came about. Uh, got a couple of pictures for you. We were in Africa 10 years ago when all this started. Look at these young faces here. I'm over there on the end. Here's Rob on this end, and there's Pastor Craig right there, 11 Calvary pastors in Uganda. And we started talking about this a decade ago, and then it wasn't until this moment, the next picture, that I actually... <laughs> Rob served me some pineapple on a plate and said, Rick, please, please go to jail with me. <clears throat> I said, for God's kingdom, I'll do anything. You know? <laughs> Just teasing. That was, we were all there helping Pastor Craig, and now Pastor Craig's here helping Rob, and now I'm here helping Rob with no pineapple. But it's all right. We want to look to the things of the Lord. We want to look, and, and my precious wife, Tammy, is here with me, and you're going to see her, those who do the fireside chat tonight. Tonight, she'll be uh, sharing how Jesus is the hero of her story, tonight at 7 o'clock, and um, I'm her biggest fan. So that's going to be a, a blessing for my wife to be able to share with you guys via the fireside chat. 
Well, really what was on my heart to share with you guys is from the book of Zechariah chapter 3. If you have a Bible you want to open up there, if not, we have the verses for you that are going to come up on the screen. And the title of our message is Living a Beautiful Life. Each one of us want to live a beautiful life, but oftentimes we have to first rebuild the broken life to have the beautiful life, right? Amen to that? A lot of us came, one time at our fellowship where I pastored for a quarter of a century in Idaho, I asked the people, because we had so many people that had come from broken, uh, broken backgrounds, I said, if you'd done time in jail, raise your hand. So many people raised their hand. I said, put them down, put them down. <laughs> the good people are going to leave. They, don't, <laughs> they didn't know they were surrounded by these individuals. But the grace of God, Jesus came to rescue broken hearts. So if we want a beautiful life, oftentimes we have to go through this rebuilding process. And that's what the book of Zechariah is about. He's a prophet that is speaking to the nation that is in a rebuilding program. They've been exiled to Babylon for 70 years because that's how the Lord gave them a spanking or took them to the woodshed. Basically, they had a 70-year timeout, and now after 70 years, they've come back to Jerusalem, and they have to rebuild their life. Their life's been devastated. And so the way that God rebuilds every life, you Bible students will understand this, if you look at the uh, book of Ezra, it's about them rebuilding the temple. You must rebuild the spiritual center of your life before you can rebuild the rest of your life. And sometimes we're trying to rebuild that's step two or three before we take care of step one. So the nation of Israel had to rebuild the house of the Lord. It was the picture of the center, the sanctuary of their lives. And then later Nehemiah comes and what does he rebuild? He rebuilds the walls around Jerusalem, which is the defense to protect from everything that wants to invade into your spiritual life. There are things that are trying to intrude into your spiritual life all the time, aren't there? Our hearts, the children of Israel went away to Babylon because they were idol worshipers. They had, basically the Lord said, you're stepping out on me. You're committing adultery with all these other gods. You want to see gods? I'm going to send you to Babylon, which is the idol capital of the world at that time. You want it bad? You get it bad. And so now as they're rebuilding their lives, the spiritual center of their life, rebuilding their families, rebuilding relationships but God uses people. And in this book of Zechariah, chapter three is about the spiritual leader, the high priest named Joshua. And he had a purity problem. He needed to be cleansed from his sin so that he could be the man of God that God wanted him to be. And then in chapter four, we have Zerubbabel, who is the civic leader who is really gonna be organizing this building project. And he had a power problem Meaning he felt so weak and the work was so great, he just didn't have the power to do it. You ever been overwhelmed with life? You just can't make the changes you need to make? You want to? I mean, you have this desire to. So this tag team within the passages, Joshua and Zerubbabel, all through the scriptures, God puts two people together to accomplish his purposes. Saul and Barnabas, Joshua and Caleb, Moses and Aaron, you can go through the Bible from end to end and see how God uses people or even church history. Check it out. We want to share with you. Now, there's seven thoughts in this brief chapter of ten verses. The early service, you get three of them. The second service, they get three of them. And only the one o'clock service gets all seven because we have no time constraints. <laughs> so if you want the other four, you got to come back at one. Well, hey, check it out. Zechariah chapter Three, verse one. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? The three characters that are introduced in this vision that Zechariah has, the book of Zechariah, 14 chapters, has eight visions. Some say 10 visions, but two of those other visions are connected to the previous vision. So we're just going to say there's eight visions. And in this vision, this prophet sees this picture. Obviously, it's in the spiritual realm. It's a vision. It's not physical. It's spiritual, but it is pointing to physical, spiritual, eternal realities. 
And that is, we see the opening says, and he showed me Joshua. Here's this guy. He's Pastor Joshua. He's the high priest. He is the person that is the prominent spiritual leader, and we're going to see he has a purity problem that God wants to deal with, just like us. You and I, we want to serve God, but sometimes we have a purity problem, right? God wants to clean some things up in our life. And it says that they're standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, most Bible teachers believe that the angel of the Lord is none other than an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. So throughout this passage, it says, and the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord. Very much like we see in um, the book of Daniel, when the three guys won't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's big idol, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they're thrown into the fiery furnace, and then Nebuchadnezzar looks and he says, the fourth one looks like the son of God. In the fire, in the furnace of the persecution of their faith, Jesus just stepped right into the middle of it, and he was there. And those three were not burned. You see, Jesus appears throughout the Old Testament, oftentimes undercover and in disguise until he shows up in grandiose color in the New Testament. But here it says they're standing before the angel of the Lord. So think of Pastor Joshua. He's standing before an Old, Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is there. Here is Joshua. Their names mean the same, right? Jesus in Hebrew is actually Joshua. And it's just the Greek form of Joshua that he's Jesus, but it helps us differentiate between the two. And then the devil's there, Satan. His title, Satan, he has many names, but it means adversary. He is the one that opposes you day and night your entire life. What a drag. <laughs> right? Here he is. And what is he doing? It says that he's there to oppose who? Pastor Joshua. He's just sitting there. I want to serve God. And the devil says, oh, no, you don't. Because I'm going to oppose you at every turn. I'm going to condemn you. I'm going to tempt you into sin. And when you get into sin, then I'll condemn you and say, aha, I got you. You're not worthy to serve God. Isn't that how he gets us? Right? He tempts us into sin. And then when we sin and fail, then we go, oh, I can't even serve God. Look at me. Look at my marriage. Look at my, what a, look at my kids. Look at my mess. I got this big fat mess. Right? And the devil just sits back and says, gotcha. Right? You're paralyzed. Some of you have wanted to step out and serve God for a very, very long time. But the devil keeps pushing you into a corner. Right? Through the temptations and the condemnation. What a bummer. That's why I'm so looking forward to heaven, aren't you? It's just like... I can't wait for heaven to come and the, this battle's over. But it's unrelenting. But I love, it says, and the Lord said, Jesus steps up and he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. He rebukes him and you think, thank you, Jesus. Right, I need somebody to help me with the adversary of my soul. He's, he is a worthy opponent that I am unable to face on my own. And he rebukes him and we're gonna see how Jesus helps Pastor Joshua, and he wants to help you and I rebuild our lives from our purity problem. He wants to cleanse us and give us fresh new clothes that are not stained by our lifestyle of sin. And so here we look at Jesus wanting to cleanse us and clothe us. He's rebuking the devil, and then he tells him, is this not a firebrand plucked from the fire? And you're like, a firebrand plucked from the fire. Now, some of this is going to be lost on you. You're like, What's that even mean? It, it means that, you know when you go camping and you, you, get, you get a stick and you start poking it around in the fire, and you know the tip of it starts getting burned, right? And afterwards, you might just kind of toss it to the side off in the weeds once the, the ember is out, and you just drive off from your camping trip, and here was the stick with a burned end on it, but you also may do this. You may be poking around in there for a while, and then you just throw it onto the fire, and it consumes that stick. Well, you and I are like a burnt stick, right? The Lord has used this, and the devil wants you to get totally consumed and burned up. Just throw your life on the fire. You're going to be of no use to God. Well, you say, well, what use is a burned stick used to God, right? The tip of it burned up. Well, you feel like your life, because you've been burned, right? We say that. I've been burned, in this relationship, in this business, I've been burned. Well, the devil's going around burning your rear end all the time, right? And now, because you've been burned, 
and you now are disillusioned with yourself, your own sin, your own condemnation. Some of you here, I mean, you limped your way into church. You feel so condemned. You would really love to serve God. But your life is so defeated. And the devil is working his magic. He's good at what he does. You're like a stick that Jesus hasn't let you get totally consumed. you got some great fire insurance. You're going to heaven. You know Jesus. But you feel like a life that's just thrown over in the weeds. And the camping trip, the family, with all their joy, they've just driven off and left you behind. You feel the insignificance. You feel the lack of meaning. You feel the lack of purpose in your life because you've been designed and created by God to be useful to him and his kingdom. And so Jesus acknowledges exactly what Satan would say and throw in their face. I know he's just a burnt stick. <laughs> Why is that so comforting to me? I don't know. I just this burnt stick over in the weeds and Jesus chose to pick me up and to do something with my life. I love that verse that says, a smoking flax he will not quench. Right? A bruised reed Jesus won't break off. He wants to fan the flame of your heart into that place of passion for him. He wants to strengthen the bruises of your life so that you're strong for his kingdom and his glory. Now, this shouldn't surprise us that Satan is such an adversary. Think, think of what Peter says, first of all, for us to identify that. You go, well, that's a high priest, and I'm not a priest, right? I'm a mechanic. I'm an engineer. I'm an architect. I'm in the movie industry. Don't you realize if you believe in Jesus, you are now a priest? Look at what Peter tells us. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does Peter the apostle tell you and I? He says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's who you are. If you believe in Jesus, that's who you are. But Peter also knows that this adversary is constantly trying to thwart the work of our priesthood. So he tells us again in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Do you think you're the only one that the devil's beaten about the head and shoulders in your life, in your mind, in your temptations, in all your struggles? Join the club, right? We're all in it together. I think one of the biggest lies the devil gives, you came in here today and you saw all of this joy and you see all of these people and you sat down and you looked at this group of, you go, look at all these wonderful people that have no problems. <laughs> what a load of baloney, right? If every one of you could go around and share the struggles that you've been going through over the last few years, I mean, we would have nothing but a huge pity party, right? <laughs> because we have struggles, we have battles. <laughs> and so Peter tells us, hey, resist him. He's trying to push you into a corner. How does Peter know this firsthand? Luke 22, 31 and 32 says, Jesus speaking to Peter, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, I indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus looked at Peter the night before his crucifixion, and he looked at Pete, and now Pete earlier had just, just said, I'm willing to go to prison and die for you. Grandiose promises. You ever, you ever go through that season, you make new promises to God every Sunday? Oh, I know I said that last Sunday, but this Sunday I really mean it. <laughs> Only to have just fall on your face all week long. Just what a, it, I got to the place that I stopped making vows and promises to God early on because I never seemed to fulfill what I said. And Peter said, oh, go to prison, I'll die for you. And Jesus said, you know what, Pete? Pete, the devil has asked for you personally by name. <laughs> right? <laughs> It's like, do I have enough problems? You know, I just, just watch my legs just start to go out from under me. You mean the devil's asking for me? Can you tell him I'm not home or something? I don't know what to say. He said, Pete, the devil is asked to sift you like wheat. You see, that's what the devil's been asking for some of you this week. He's been going into God's throne room. He's been asking for you by name. You say, he doesn't know. Oh, no, he knows you. 
I love when the seven sons of Sceva tried to cast out a demon, and they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit, they didn't have Jesus in their heart, but they saw that Paul was doing it, and they came to this guy that was (laughs) demon-possessed, and the demon spoke, you know, they got that good demon voice, Darth Vader voice, you know, and the demon spoke this way, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Says he beat the tar out of them, literally ripped their clothes off their body, and they ran down the street naked. Right? Jesus, he knows. And you, he knows. If you know Jesus. Now, as this unfolds for us in Peter's life and dilemma, this is the beautiful thing. Even before Peter fell on his face, denied the Lord three times, even with the servant girl, the last one, the, the, the big tough guy with bravado that said he's willing to go to jail and die for Jesus, a little servant girl, 14, comes up and says, hey, I think you're with that Jesus guy. And it says he cursed. I mean, he is a sailor, and he started cussing like a sailor, right? But do you know, it, it's more emphatic than that. Not just, it wasn't that Peter was just a potty mouth at this moment. Peter used the strongest denunciation language that he possibly could. You know how that sounds? If I know this man, this is what it means to be cursed. If I know this man, may my soul be cursed to hell. Can you imagine just hours earlier? Going to go to prison for him. Going to die for him. And now he's saying, my soul, may it be cursed to hell that I even know him. And you think you had a bad week. <laughs> you, can I just share with you, Peter, that's writing all this stuff to us? Does Peter know what it is like to, to fail and to have God restore him? Because Peter told him Satan was going to sift him as wheat. And then he told him in the same breath, but when you return... When you're restored, I'm going to use you to strengthen my people. Why? Because Pete understands. He understands what it feels like to fail God, just like you and me. Right? You see, Revelation, the Apostle John tells us in Revelation 12.10, the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night, This is what Satan does. He accuses, he accuses, he accuses you before God. He goes to our heavenly father and he tells him what a mess up you and I are. That's what he does. That's his thing, right? He lies to us about God and he lies to God about us. But worse, oftentimes, really to condemn us, all he has to do is tell the truth about us. That's even worse, right? Just to say how messed up we are. How do I know that Satan lies? Because in the story of Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, this is what Satan said, and we know that it is a lie. Job 1.11 says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan came in before God's throne. God said, hey, you know what? What have you been doing, Satan? He goes, oh, I've been cruising around the earth seeing who's people, what people I can torment. And he said, have you considered my servant Job? He's an upright man, loves good, shuns evil. There's nobody like him. And he goes, well, he's blessed, you know, you've blessed his socks off. No wonder he loves you. But if you let me touch all that he has, all of his work, the labor of a man's life, and his children, he will curse you to your face. Now, don't you and I agree that in many of our lives when calamity has happened and we lost what we worked for or we lost people we love, the temptation to shake your fist at heaven that's the temptation. And, that's, and so God says, okay. He had protected Job so Satan couldn't touch him. And that's the encouraging thing. Satan can't touch my life unless God gives him permission. It kind of also makes me feel like on the sly, God, if you're proud of me, could you please not tell the devil? <laughs> right? That's what he does. He's bragging on his boy Job. This is my boy Job. This is my boy. He loves God. Right? Check out my And all of his labor, everything's wiped out. And then he has 10 children, and in one storm, all 10 kids are killed. 10 children. I've sat and cried with parents who have lost children. There's nothing that's devastating, and it never goes away. 30 years goes by, and you're having dinner, and you're talking about it, and the tears come. It's not like the healing of somebody that loses a husband or a wife. Those things are hard, but they're not the same as a child. He wipes out all that he's worked for. He wipes out 
all 10 of his children. And then Job comes back in chapter 2 of the book of Job. God has the same conversation. My boy, Job, I'm proud of him. He didn't curse me because that, that was the test. Will you curse God? And he goes, well, skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. Let me touch his body. I'll make him sick, and he'll curse you to your face. And God said, okay, you can touch his body, but you may not take his life. God put limitations on him at every turn. And so he struck him with boils from the top of his head to the sole of his foot, oozing boils so that he would just sit there and scrape it with a piece of pottery. And he tells us that flies and worms began to grow in them, and and it was awful. Now, the only thing that he didn't take was Job's wife, because the devil knew she could be instrumental in helping him out. This is not a marriage conference this morning. (laughs) And she told him, do you hold on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Where have we heard those words before? Right? Satan. She goes, you hold on to your integrity. Look at you. We've lost our kids. And, And my wife is so compassionate. She points out being a wife and a mom. She's like, honey, she was just hurting I thought, that is a great take. I, I think the ladies have that take. But I'm a guy. We don't have that take. <laughs> so we're going to give, I'm going to throw that out there because my wife's probably right and I'm wrong. But she looks at him and she says, honey, he says in another place, my breath had become offensive to my wife. No Altoids back in the day. <laughs> she said, why don't you just curse God and die? It's one thing for the devil to be accusing me in heaven because I can't actually hear that conversation. It's another thing for someone I love to look at me and say, curse God and die. See, could anything else go wrong in Job's life? Who was behind it all? Satan. He was accusing. He was lying. He was attacking. He was destroying. That's what he does. And in this whole process, we see that this is now what Joshua the high priest is going. Pastor Joshua is going through this. Satan's tactics. He's an adversary. Not only does he have the accusations of the devil, but he also is keenly aware that he's got a sin problem. You see, I really don't need the devil to defeat me because oftentimes I'm just defeating myself, right, for my own sin. Every now and then you just feel like you're stuck in that Romans chapter 7. What I want to do, I don't end up doing. And what I don't want to do, that's exactly what I do. Paul said it so well, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ our Lord, who will deliver me one day in heaven, but that's a long ways off. So, look at it, the cleansing and the clothing in verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Hmm. These filthy garments. You see, because it's a vision, the filthy garments represent the sin of Joshua's life. Can you imagine, I mean, wouldn't this be an awful planet to live on if all of our clothes today smelled like the sin of our life and had the stains of the sin of our life all over them and they're just there all the time? Is that horrifying or what? I mean, (laughs) you wouldn't call this God speak, you'd say smell speaks. I mean, this is... This would be a stinky place. We'd all be walking around with those little, you know, the swimmers use the nose plugs. <laughs> it's bad, bad. And, but that really is the picture. And as a matter of fact, I, I hesitate to do this because I don't want you to think that I'm crude or uncouth or, or not a refined preacher. But uh, the, th- the reality is, is the Hebrew word that is used here, that he's got these filthy garments, it, it means literally a garment that is smeared with excrement. Poopy clothes. Now, when you're raising kids, you expect that, right? You have dirty diapers. Remember the old school, the cloth diapers, you got to wash them out, and oh, praise God for throwaway diapers. But the smell, oh, the smell. Now they have special machines that, you know, like a nuclear device to try to suck the smell out of the things, trap the smell of a stinky diaper. Can you imagine me coming into church and cruising around with these poopy diapers just swinging off my body? Hey, how do you like my attire? Got poopy diapers. It's the new mo- Oh, you saw I had some raisins, you know. <laughs> now, the picture 
The picture is meant to be graphic and shocking. When the Lord wants to be graphic and shocking to get our human attention, he, he knows how to do it, right? That's pretty graphic. At one time when the children of Israel were trying to actually do good things to outweigh the bad things they were doing, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 64, 6. He says, we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. You see, it's one thing to be dirty and then you try to do good things to get clean. But doing good things never washes you up, right? You're just trying to cover it up. It's a bit like Adam and Eve, right? In Genesis 3.21, Adam and his wife, the Lord God, made tunics of skins and clothed them because they had clothed themselves with fig leaves, itchy fig leaves, because they were naked. God wanted to give them fur coats, but they settled for itchy leaves. And that's what good works are like. You're trying to outweigh the good with the bad, and that's not how righteousness works. That's not how getting right with God works. There's a place for good things and good works, and they're in the life of a believer, but it's not how, what makes you right. And in that passage, and I'll be very brief, in that passage, he uses the strongest thing possible, beyond poopy clothes. He says, your effort to try to be good and acceptable to me based on your own effort is like dirty menstrual claws the ladies use for their monthly period. That's not going to help anybody. That's why it's so shocking when people still are trying to make those efforts to get right with God. Jesus is the only one through faith in him where righteousness comes to the soul of a child of God. Now, in this passage, Jude tells us that when we're trying to minister to people, he uses this picture of dirty garments as a picture, a symbol of sin, when he says, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. What if your life of sin was pictured and smelled from your garments? Praise God that the filth of my sin is not visible to everybody, but it's known by you and me to ourselves, correct? So Joshua is keenly aware of this, and the Lord knows that he needs new clothes. That tells us in verse 4, then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. God has rich robes. He, he, has, he wants to clothe us in his righteousness rather than those poopy garments or the other things that we mentioned as Adam and Eve experienced that they were clothed with fur coats rather than their own effort and their fig leaves. It reminds us of the prodigal in Luke 15, 22 and 24, through 24, the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. You see, this prodigal here in this story, we have a prodigal priest, a prodigal pastor, pro pastor, uh, Joshua, and in the prodigal story that Jesus shares, it's, it's the youngest son. He gets his dad's money, and he takes it off, and, and he comes back once he realizes he spent all the money. He's now feeding pigs for a pig, par, fig, a pig, fig, pig farmer, and, um, and he's actually hungry because there's a great famine, so he's not getting enough nutrition in his life, and he goes, well, i got to go home to dad, and I'm no longer worthy to be called his uh, you know, son, but I could be called a servant. There's plenty of food, and I'm going to go home, and he rehearses this message all the way back. Hey, dad, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you, and please forgive me, and I'm not worthy to be your son, but please let me just be one of your servants. But the father's looking for him from a long ways off. He's watching. Don't you know he was watching that horizon, the way that he departed months before, a couple of years before, in this fictional parable story, and now he sees him coming, and there's nobody that walks like your son, and he runs to him, and he hugs him, and he kisses him, and, and he's not going to make him a servant. He's just waiting for him to come home, and that's the thing you don't understand when you're living in a season of a prodigal life or living in the sin of impurity and you're, uh, the 
effects of sin and the condemnation of devil have pushed you away from the things of God, and you think now God's forgotten about you. He's given up on you. You're like that burnt stick thrown over in the weeds. You're now, no. God's heart is towards you every single day with his incredible love. I want you to know that if you even think towards the Lord, he's going to take a giant step towards you. If you take a step towards him, he's going to run to you. And if you run to God, you know what? He's going to fly to you. See, God's heart is one of love for you. No matter how far you have went, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how dirty the garments, no matter what your past is, because you know the adversary had somebody to come and throw some rocks at the prodigal too, right? The older brother, he showed up, told his dad, can't believe this. Punk little brother, blows all your money, comes back here, wasted all your money hanging out with prostitutes. That's what his older brother said. See, there's a lot of people that when you seek to come back to the Lord, the people that somehow along the way, they, they know how bad you've messed up. They're still faithful to throw those rocks. You got anybody like that, that family member? I know who you were. I was a young Christian, very zealous, and and I was talking to somebody, and they had just, I mean, I had maybe been saved a few months, and they talked to me about the adulterous relationship they were involved in, and, and, uh, and I just shared with them, hey, well, you know, the Bible says that you're not to commit adultery, and I just gave a little family sermonette, and they looked at me with such shock and disgust, and they said, six months ago, you were snorting coke, doing acid, getting in trouble with the law, just went through this whole list, and it was all true. And said, now here you are going to preach a sermon to me about my adultery? I'm like, point well taken. I'm not sure what to do with that. I, 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 didn't, know, I didn't know how to respond to that. You know what I mean? I was like, you're right. And here I am. And I'm going to talk to But you see, the thing is, is that when the Lord cleans us up, then he starts using us. And it's kind of an awkward stage of the new Christian life. You see, the one that wants to use us and make us kings and priests, you see, it's not only the motive and the detergent to cleanse our souls, but it's his goal for us. And the Lord Jesus, it says in Revelation 1, 5, and 6, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. You see, Jesus loves you. He's washed you with his own blood when you believe in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He shed his blood as the sacrifice once and for all to make you clean once and for all. And the day that I received Jesus, I have been righteous positionally, 100% right with God every day since then. Now, practically, I struggle with things, but positionally, the Lord looks at me as if I am 100% righteous because you see, my righteousness is not based on my performance. It's based on my faith in the perfect, sinless Son of God. He was righteous. He was perfect. So when I tell people, hey, I know I'm going to heaven, they go, what an arrogant boast of you to think you're good enough. You're, no, no, wait, wait. I'm bragging about Jesus. He's the hero of my story. He's good enough to get me in the door. Right? He is 100%. Amen. So my righteousness, and I can't say it better than Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 12, 21, for he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus said, hey, I have this incredible deal to offer you. You give me all of your sin, past, present, and future. Not just the stuff from your past. No, what you're struggling with today and your future. I want you to give me all your sin and all the judgment that would come because of your sin. And I want you to give that to me. And I'm going to take all of that sin, shame, and judgment on myself at the cross. In exchange, I'm going to give you 100% perfect standing before the holy God of eternity. Do you want to take that deal? You go, now wait a second, is this too good to be true? I explained this to one of uh, 
my relatives, a very religious person that was trying to do good works to get to God. I explained this crystal clear one day, and she finally sat back rather than arguing with me. She rolled her eyes, and she said, well, Rick, if what you're saying is true, why doesn't everybody believe it? I said, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, who's, who's going to pass that deal, Right? Give me all your sin and your shame and your guilt and your travail and your sorrow and your struggle and your grief and your big pile of mess that represents moi. And I'm going to give you my righteousness. Perfect. 100% righteous. So I wake up in the morning knowing God's going to bless me today. Not because I'm good. I haven't even done anything. I just wake up and God's going to treat me like he would treat his son Jesus. I can go to bed at night knowing that even with all my struggles, and I got a truckload of struggles, I'm totally right with God. And if you believe in Jesus, it's a once and for all deal, man, once you believe in him. Now, practical righteousness and how he sanctifies us and how he cleans us up, because I'm talking about the justification process, but the sanctification process takes some cleaning up to do in that the Lord wants to clean us up but how do you stand if you believe in Jesus? Well-worn verse, I hope, in your Bible, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No more shame. I don't care how you came in here today with your head hanging down and your hands feeble and your knees just like, man, I'm just limping in. I can't, can't believe God just doesn't give, me up, give up on me. I'm such a mess. But I love Jesus. There's no condemnation for you, man. None. Then there might be some things God wants to deal with and cleanse and help, but he doesn't give up on you. He doesn't, you go to the shame section. <laughs> shame. No, the shame's removed. Even in the biggest tragedies of your life, your biggest failure of denying the Lord by your actions like Peter, when Jesus rises from the dead, and he appears for the first time to the disciples, what's he say? Hey, go tell my disciples and Peter. He points him out by name. You tell Pete. This is for him. Why did I die on the cross? And rise from the... I did it for Pete. I did it for all of you, but Pete needs to hear it especially today. Do you know that Jesus, everywhere he goes throughout the scriptures in his story, every room, every crowd he's in, do you know who he identifies the most with? Those who are in the greatest need, Right? Whoever has the greatest need, like the day he was teaching and they brought the woman caught in adultery, I mean, she's caught in the act. I mean, I'd say that's pretty embarrassing, pretty shameful, right? To catch you in the actual, because they had to actually catch them physically engaged in sex to be stoned to death. And drags her, maybe half naked, maybe there's a little cloth thrown around her, we don't know. And Jesus' famous words, you who are without sin, you cast the first rock. You guys all have rocks to throw at this girl, committed adultery? Are you sinless? That's why to me, you guys, there's a huge inconsistency of those who are enjoying the incredible grace of God and a self-righteous believer that just throws rocks at everybody in their struggles and sin. It just seems to me so devastating and paradoxical. Yet I know so many Christians that just go through life just slaying everybody with their judgments in their mouth. And, you know, we're the, the holy chosen. What? Really? You without sin? Well, I wouldn't do that. Well, I know you, dude. You've got a lot to repent for. <laughs> just waking up in the morning, you should be repenting. Yeah. Right? And Jesus still loves you. That's why the church falls into disfavor with a hurting world because the church is going around just, you know, pointing their finger rather than, you know what? Are you weary and heavy laden? Is your life devastated? God loves you. Isn't it strange that the common people heard Jesus gladly? The common people, you could not beat the common people off with a stick. They were so in love with Jesus. Why? What did they sense? They sensed when they got to Jesus, they experienced full love and acceptance. And not a wagging pharisaical finger in their face. Didn't mean he didn't deal with the sin. But he first forgave the sin and cleansed them and empowered them with the spirit to have victory over their sin. 
They just didn't point in their face. You know, when I hear people in their sin story, I don't go, how could they? I go, man, that was me. Or that could be me. All I have to do is make a decision, you know. That's me. As this unfolds for us, for our own life, if it means those things that is so radical, Zechariah here, it's almost like Zechariah the prophet who's having this vision. He's the amen section. He sees this, you know, poor Joshua. He's condemned. The devil's attacking him. It's going through all of those things. And then the Lord does all this for him. He sees the Lord's love for him. He sees the Lord's cleansing for him. He sees the new set of clothes. He's now richly robed in the righteousness by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in an Old Testament picture or sense. And it's almost like Zechariah can't help, ha- help it. He has this shout out. It says, and I said in verse 5, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. It's almost like he said, hey, let's put a hat and top top this whole thing off. You see, the high priest wore this turban and it had this gold plate on it according to Exodus and it said holiness to the Lord. It's pretty cool. Now, if you're a high priest, I don't know if I'd want to go around with a little, you know, plaque, holiness to the Lord, holiness. Because as soon as I walk in here today, I, I mean, every day I wake up. I just declare to you how positionally righteous I know by faith I am. But experientially, I wake up sometimes feeling like a thousand pounds on a popsicle stick. How about you? I feel like I'm such a joke. I can't believe God even uses me. Isn't it something that when God cleanses us and we see him do something in other people's lives, just like Zechariah here, he said, Man, put that hat back on his head that says holiness to the Lord because I want you to know you could have a huge neon sign blinking off and on all day in your life, over your life, that says holiness to the Lord because Jesus, the Holy One, when you put your faith in him, you get to enjoy the holiness of the Lord. You're set apart for his purposes, holy to the Lord. You're his. You see, the Bible calls you and I saints, Maybe you've said, like so many Christians I've heard over the years, well, I am a Christian, but I'm no saint. And it's this misnomer. They don't even understand the biblical concept. Paul tells us and tells Christians over and over and over in Romans 1-7, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Do you know you're a saint? If you believe in Jesus, you've entered into the saint club. Now, that's a little uncomfortable for us, though, because you don't. I just, hey, you've got to get comfortable with it. Why are you holy and why are you perfect in God's sight? You go, well, because of what Jesus did and I just believed in him. Right. So it's not really about you. It's about him. He's, Jesus is the hero of your story, right? So I am now a part of Jesus' fan club called the Saints. Right? And you just kind of take it for a test drive. Just look in the mirror. St. Rick. St. Rick. St. Tammy. St. Jill. St. Bob. St. George. Whatever you're saying, you know, you, you can have that understanding because saint just simply means somebody that's set apart because God set you apart by faith in Jesus, right? It's that position, and, and that's what Zechariah wants to, you know, it's a whole different even level to the MAGA hat, right? Make America great again. It's like, let's make Jesus great again, and I get to be a part of the club. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> So if all that's true, and we see that Jesus wants to to build your beautiful life, he oftentimes has to rebuild a life that feels condemned, a life that is filthy because of our own sins. And so we are now, through faith in Jesus, cleansed, clothed in righteousness, the two things that Jesus wants to do, because the third thing he wants to do in your life is use you. He wants to use you. Now, I don't know if you understand how shocking it is for somebody to come from a background like me. Maybe you came from a rough background like me. That God would use me is like mind-blowing. When God called me to go full-time into the ministry, I thought to myself, it should be illegal for people like me to go into the ministry. I mean, there's, there's, like, there's something wrong with this. You, people should not be allowed. It's like you're on probation for the rest of your life with God. Is, is, is kind of your mind, human mindset. But it says in verse 6 and 7, Jesus wants to use us, and he wanted to use Joshua the high priest. 
but he couldn't do it until he cleansed him and he clothed him in his righteousness. Verse 6 says, Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. Did you know that the Lord wants to love us, save us, cleanse us, clothe us, and then use us? That's what he wants to do. You know, if you go to work at many companies, you get the uniform, right? I showed up at church one night. It was a Saturday night service. And the teenagers, some of the teenagers at our church would just say exactly what they thought. My wife had laid out some clothes for me because I don't dress myself. And, and uh, <laughs> I'm a redneck from Idaho. You don't want me alone with a wardrobe. And so, so she had these pants, and they were kind of like a dark green and then a khaki nice uh, shirt. But I didn't realize it. I showed up at church. I just walked in the lobby, and there's a teenager that took a double take like this, and they said, oh, Pastor Rick, I thought you were the UPS man. I was dressed just like a UPS guy. (laughs) I don't think that was the look my wife was going for. She changed the clothes for the next morning. But but I laughed. I mean, as soon as it struck me, it hit me. And I I said, I am the UPS man. And the teenager said, what? I said, I'm here to deliver some good things to you, right? So we know, we know the UPS guy because he's got his uniform, right? He's got his uniform. He's got his truck. And here, as we're looking at this picture, the Lord says, you know what? If you'll walk in my ways, he tells him in verse 7, if you'll keep my command, if you'll just walk with me and have fellowship with me and keep my commands. Do you know that Jesus, what was the test that Jesus gave to his disciples over and over and over? He repeats it. More in the Gospel of John than any other place. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Isn't isn't that the reality? If you love something, then it becomes like it's not even that big a deal to be obedient to his his commands. Because I love him. I don't want to disappoint him. It's like if you love a dad or a mom, and as you mature and you get older, then you want to please them. My son, when he was about 15, he came to my wife, and at that time, he had, he had grown significantly, so the conversations, especially when she would correct him or different things, were really funny, because here's this cute little blonde, and, you know, Caleb, he's got this really deep voice, he's looking down at his mom, and, and he came to her one day, and he said, Mom, I've made a decision. She said, what's that, honey? He said, well, I've really been thinking about sowing and reaping, and the Bible says you reap what you sow. And so when I get old, I don't want a jerk of a kid, so I've decided not to be a jerk of a kid so that I can sow obedient. So I just want to be obedient to you and mom so that when I have kids, I don't get a jerk. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was his mindset. Even his concept was a bit self-serving, but it was very, very powerful. And his, and his mom said, we'll take it. You know, <laughs> we'll take whatever obedience that we can get. We'll, we'll take that. And so the Lord just says, hey, you know what? If you love me, if you... If you've enjoyed being cleansed, if you've enjoyed being clothed in the right standing with God because of what Jesus has done, if you're enjoying that, if you're loving that, if you're soaking that up, man, wouldn't you want to do what he wants you to do? You see, those who are forgiven much, the Bible says, love much. That's why I've been radically serving God for 36 years. Because I have been forgiven of so much, and I love him so much because I can't believe that he's loved me in this way. See, what you really need to know is that the Lord is looking to cleanse you, clothe you, and use you. As we wrap it up in 2 Chronicles 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Do you know, just as the devil is going to and fro throughout the whole earth to see who he can destroy, the Lord is going to and fro throughout the whole earth to see whose heart he can strengthen, whose life he can use that would be used by him. Romans, Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans 12, 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He says, just offer yourself to God and watch watch what he does. God's looking throughout the earth. When I read this verse the first time and I memorized it, I said, Lord, you're looking all over for somebody to use you. I offer my body to you. Use me. It's only reasonable that I would love you and serve you. And then I discover what I'm created for. 
As Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Today, I am in the center of what God wants me to do for what he's prepared me to do at this moment. Because he was looking for someone and I said, here I am. And he's looking for you. And you just say, here I am. But even Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he realized he was a man of unclean lips and what the Lord have to do before he sent him forward. He touched his lips and he cleansed him and he said, now go, go and preach my word. Falling into, or I shouldn't say falling into, stepping into the fullness of what God's created you for is so fulfilling. It's the greatest place on planet earth for the child of God, knowing that I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. And all you have to do to do that is just love God each day and love your neighbor as yourself. Offer yourself to God and watch what God does. It's not like, oh, I must go to Africa. Not that that's a good thing if God calls you. You don't, you don't have to cross the ocean to serve God. You just have to see the cross in a sincere, personal way. Say, I'm going to love you today, Lord. I'm going to love the neighbor, my neighbor around me. And Lord, I offer myself to you. And whatever you want to do with me, I'm in. Just take all the pressure off. I see these people trying to search for a big, great calling. Just, do, just love who God puts in front of you. Make yourself available, and God will give you the opportunities. That's just the way it works. Lastly, when you're righteous, can you see Joshua the high priest when we started this story? Filthy garments, stinky clothes, sin, uh, accusing finger of the devil, and just being so defeated. And yet now he's robed in the righteousness of God. He's a new man. Proverbs 28 says... Verse 1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Your guilty conscience will make you flee even when nobody's pursuing you. I know. I used to drive down the road. I'd have drugs. I'd have alcohol. I'm 16 years old in my truck. And as soon as I saw a cop, what I want to do? (laughs) First, you let off the gas. Am I speeding? Are they turning around? You go through your whole life. You know, is the cop turning around? Is he coming after me? Right? You're just, and he's not even chasing me. I just see the cop and freak out. And some of you are living condemned lives. You just feel like you're freaking out. Just let Jesus cleanse you, clothe you, and use you. And the righteous are as bold as a lion. It doesn't mean that it's my own righteousness. I'm as bold as a lion. Pastor Rob's as bold as a lion. Because we are standing in the perfect righteousness given by faith from the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. But not just for us, but every heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible love. We thank you for the food for our souls. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would do exceedingly abundantly above all that you have planned out for this passage of Scripture to grow in our hearts. And Lord, we pray now that you would fill and use your precious people. So we're just in an attitude of prayer right now. I just want to invite you. We're going to have our heads bowed. If, if you want to pray with me, I want to pray for those who right now just, it's a special day that the Lord has a word of encouragement for you because of where you've been and how God loves you and he wants to work in your life in a fresh new season. I just want to invite you. We don't know what the, the, the history of your life. We don't know the source. But today you feel like God's really speaking to you to cleanse, to clothe, and to use. I just want to invite you to stand up right where you're at, and we're going to pray for you that the Spirit of God does all that he wants to do in you. So just open your heart by faith and just stand up, and we're going to pray for you right where you're at. Go ahead. God bless you guys up here. Lord, thank you for your people. Thank you for those who are just standing up. You know the details of their life. You know the DNA of their life. And men and women, Lord, all over the room right now, just standing before you and opening their heart by faith. And we just agree together. This is a special day, Lord Jesus, for you to cleanse us. Those who are here, you want to clothe us in your righteousness. And you want to use us. And we just confess, Lord, that we've so often been defeated at the accusations of the devil. We've been so defeated by our own sin and failure. And yet, Lord, would you whisper in our ear, or would you shout from the rooftop your incredible love to our hearts to fill us with the faith to receive your cleansing, the faith to receive, Lord, 
these robes of righteousness by faith and to be as bold as, an, as a lion in our love and service for you. God, we're your servants. Our lives are yours. Help us walk with you and just because of love, want to respond to your voice in obedience. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're gonna do in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand with those who are standing. Just want you to know if you need prayer afterwards, something a little more specific, you need a little counsel, some ministers will be up here in front as Micah and the team lead us in worship. God bless you guys. Great to be with you on this fun new adventure, the first day of a whole new season.